In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I should say first, Aloha. We had a wonderful time away, and uh, thanks be to God, safely back home. Uh, We changed our names, by the way, while we were there. We, Jan's now known as uh, Jan, uh, Jan Awana. I want to do this, I want to do that. And my name is Nicola Noah. No, we're not. No, we're not. Guess who won? You don't even need to guess who won. What a joy. Um, Today we have a special opportunity. Many times during the seasons of the year, we aren't able to, to have this feast on a Sunday, the feast of the, be, the beheading of St. John, that we, that we commemorate. Uh, we don't celebrate it. Commemorate it. We don't celebrate a beheading. <laughs> but we commemorate a beheading. He's, he's in many ways a lost figure in the church. Uh, he's always on the iconostas, always next to Christ. But his life and story seem to be blended into so many other events that surround the life of Christ that we never really get to point at this very incredible man and this very incredible life. 600 years before the birth of John, Isaiah says this, The voice of one cried in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths of our God. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. All the crooked ways shall become smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's a direct prophecy in relationship to John. And then 400 years before the birth of Christ and the birth of John, Malachi the prophet says, Behold, I send forth my messenger and he shall survey the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come into his temple and he will abide with you until the day of his coming. Another prophecy 400 years before the birth of John. Solomon in the book of wisdom says, Though the righteous be overtaken by death, that is the death of John, he shall be at rest. Thus the righteous that is dead shall condemn the ungodly who are living. Today we see the righteous death of John condemning the evil of Herod. And Zacharias, his own father, says this after his birth. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. This must have been an amazing thing for Zacharias to say over his child after he was born. You know, fathers love their children when they're born and and have such great desires for them. But filled with the Holy Spirit, This is what Zacharias said over the baby John. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Can you imagine that? The father of a a son being so overwhelmed by the fact that, my goodness, the, the Messiah is coming. And my son is going to prepare his way. My. I'm crying like a father. My goodness, what a moment. 
What a powerful moment for us to, to, to participate in today. So John prophesied before he was born, prophesied at his birth, a miraculous birth nonetheless. Uh, Elizabeth, his mother, was beyond childbearing years, couldn't bear children. And Zacharias was a priest, uh, a priest in the, in the nation of Israel, and went to the temple. And the Lord told Zacharias in the temple when he was burning incense as a priest that your wife is going to conceive. And he chuckled because he didn't think it could happen. And the Lord said, because you didn't believe I'm going to shut your mouth for nine months. Which was a miracle in itself for a priest to have his mouth shut for nine months. <laughs> but that was a good shutting of his mouth for many, many reasons. So he went and told his wife Elizabeth and she conceived and bore the son. And the whole country was amazed at this because they knew something had happened in the temple. They knew that when Zacharias came out, for he could not speak. So this was not like, oh, just a couple people knew. No, everybody knew this. And this was a, a sign that Messiah was coming. And so everybody was anticipating this great birth. And when he was born, Elizabeth proclaims his name to be John. And everybody looks at Zacharias. Because in those days... A, a, a father always named the son after him. And so when Elizabeth looked at her husband, he wasn't able to speak until he wrote down, his name will be John. And then he spoke, his name will be John. Powerful. Very powerful time in the life of the church. And so Zacharias and Elizabeth bear this son. And he becomes this great forerunner and, and moves in a powerful way toward uh, the, the, the development of uh, the life of the Christian faith. But Zacharias, after all this joy in his life, is killed by uh, the Jews on his way to, uh, to the temple. And Elizabeth, fearing the death then of her own son, takes him to the desert. And then she passes. And so how is John raised? They say, by the angels. You know, we, we, we wonder and see the beauty of, 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 of uh, the prophet Elijah being fed by the crow, you know, being fed by the raven but we know here a whole life being fed by the angels. And then, everybody knows this. This isn't an odd happening. And then 30 years later, John wa walks out of the desert. I'm sure everybody thought he was dead. I'm sure that he had to be dead. His father was dead, his mother had died. Where is John? Nobody knows. He comes out of the desert looking like that, all shaggy, eats locusts and wild honey. He comes out of the desert and he begins to preach. And 
everyone comes to see him. Not a couple people. Everybody comes to see him. Why? Because so many things had happened up to that point that pointed that this man was special. This man was unique. So everybody comes to him. What's his message? It's very simple. I'm going to change it a bit. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what should you do? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Christ is coming. He's coming. The Messiah is coming. The one that we've all been waiting for is coming. Get ready. Make the crooked path straight. Make your life smooth and and right. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This was his message. And he had people coming and repenting. And he baptized them in the baptism of repentance. Baptizing, baptizing, baptizing thousands and thousands of people in the baptism of repentance, awaiting the coming of the Messiah. And then this incredible moment comes where Christ, his cousin, walks into the water. And John is befuddled. What? I'm not worthy to untie your sandal. How can I baptize you? And Christ, seeing that humility, in his humility, bowed his head to John and was baptized by John. Can you imagine baptizing Christ? How How was that? How did that happen? All of creation must have wondered what was going on there. That the creator of the universe is being baptized by one of his creatures. So, John's powerful life, and then even his powerful death, being imprisoned by Herod, uh, and then eventually beheaded by Herod because he confronted Herod and his illicit relationship with uh, uh, his brother's wife confronted that and said, that's not right. And Herodias was upset at that and got her daughter to dance for him and then entice him to give her what she wanted and then she desired John's head. I was thinking today that, you know, we're at the altar and uh, we're offering... Uh, offering the gifts at the altar. Well, this day, John's head was offered. His, his life was offered today. So we see this, this moment in which uh, this life is taken. But it's exalted today because of his righteousness and faithfulness to God. His love for God and his love for the kingdom of God. And just a side note, after he was beheaded, Joanna, the myrrh-bearer, got his head and took it and buried it rightfully. So they didn't let it just sit there. So God bless Joanna also today. So we see this incredible 
life before us and it's an example to us that we must first love the kingdom of God and we must first love God. And that if we do those things, all of our life will be joy. John's life was not a sad life. John's, John's life was a life of joy. So for us today, what's that, what do those examples mean to us today? To not be attached to the things of this life. You know, while I was gone, I read a really wonderful book, uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. If you haven't read it, it's very, very good. It's about heaven and hell, how you get into heaven. And he says one thing in there that I think is very, very critical for us, that you, you take nothing in. You cannot be attached to anything in this life. If you're attached to anything in this life, it won't let you in. It will be the weight that takes you away. You have to let everything in this life go. You know, we pray that God would deliver us from all uh, calamity, wrath, and necessity. Nothing in this life should be needed in that way. The only thing needed is God's love for us. But there should be nothing. We should hold on to nothing. Everything should be loose. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We have to have our hands off the things of this life. And I'm here to make a, a uh, and I think the importance here too is that it's not only those things, but it can even be opinions of things. Do we hold on to opinions of things? Do those become something that are of necessity to us? Do we hold on to uh, objects in this life? Do we hold on even to family in this life? Is that a difficult thing? So are we always being drawn into the things of this world? While we were gone, we went to uh, two uh, Cincinnati Red games. I have to say that because my brother got tickets. They were really giant games. But uh, I have to say Reds games because the tickets came from the Reds. Um, but as many of you know, I, I'm a pretty serious giant fan. But I'm here to make a confession. I'm letting go. I love Dodger fans. I love Dodger fans. I'm letting go. Uh, I can't say that yet. I knew you were going to ask that. I can love the fans. I'm headed in that direction. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I love going to games, and if you've ever been to a game, they're awesome. But people are really attached there. That's really a draw. That's something that really binds them. And is, in a sense, you watch some of these folks, and it's like a necessity of life, that you've got to be there, and you've got to be a part of this. You've got to really be into it, and you've got to draw yourself into it. Well, you can't take that to heaven. There are many people in heaven, but they don't wear different jerseys. They wear one jersey, got a cross on it. So we have to be very careful of loving the things of this life. And the other thing in the book that I thought was interesting and really points at John's life too is that we have to love God first. It's not, John loved God and loved God first. And so everything else kind of fit for him. 
all his struggles, all his pain, all his suffering, the loss of the loss of his father, the loss of his mother, the loss of his head. It all made sense to him because he loved God first. You know, if if we can do that, and I was when I was reading this book, I was saying to myself, you know, I don't know if I love God first. I have to check myself. Do, do I love God first? Do I, do I love the kingdom first and not this world? Do I love God first? If I'm standing at the doors of heaven, am I willing to let all of that go? You know, there's in a moment in my life, I'm going to tell another story of my wife. It's always, these are always good stories. Uh, when I had graduated from college, I was searching for my faith. Uh, the faith, searching for Christ, but didn't know that. So Jan went away to a meeting in uh, April of 1971. And she came back to the house, recommitted her life to Christ, and had this glow on her face. It bothered me. What's that glow? She says, I've recommitted my life to Christ. I said, oh, my goodness gracious. So I asked her this question. I said, do you love Jesus more than me? And she said, yes. And I went, what? (laughs) What? Well, what happened was I saw from that moment on in our marriage that her love for me then became unconditional. She was going to love me no matter what. Because why? She loved Jesus first. That's what brought me back to Christ. Was that that moment and looking at her and saying, my goodness gracious, this changed her. Her love was unconditional. And so John stands as an example for us in this way too. We need to love God first then love can be unconditional. If, I, if I'm loving someone first and they're not loving me back, it frustrates me. It makes me angry. It bothers me. I'm loving you. Why aren't you loving me back? If I love God first, I can love you whether you love me back or not. Which is beautiful and very important for us. So, if we can do these things, be unattached to, the, to this world, if we can be loving God first, we will find that all things in this life are filled with joy. Just like John. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter where we are, all things will be filled with joy. Through the prayers of St. John, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen.